This episode of the Craft Sanity Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you who donated $1 a month through Craft Sanity's Patreon page. Learn more at craftsanity.com. Hi, I'm Jennifer Ackman Haywood, and you're listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast. This is episode 145 of the podcast. I am recording at a most ungodly hour, <laughs> but I'm doing what I have to do to get stuff done. You guys know how it goes. It's late, but I'm still very excited to tell you about this week's guest. In case you haven't gotten the memo yet, macrame is back. Contrary to some people's firmly held beliefs, <laughs> macrame is actually quite awesome. I have, in the last couple weeks, begun to amass a collection of vintage macrame books. For many years, I've had macrame on my list of things to do, kind of some independent study work on, and I've never made the time. So when I heard that Sally England was going to be teaching a macrame workshop at Have Company in Grand Rapids, I decided that, you know, I best take a break, drop my work for a little bit, take a couple hours and head downtown and just finally jump into this macrame business. And you know what? It's so fun. <laughs> it's really fun. And I've been walking around with cotton string in my pockets and I've panicked a couple of times when I thought I lost my little sampler that I was working on. So basically, Sally England has created a bit of a macrame monster over here because after just two hours of instruction with Sally and a handful of other very cool ladies who were all interested in macrame, you know, I'm kind of now obsessed with macrame. I invited Sally to be a guest on the podcast because we had not done an interview in about eight years. I interviewed her the first time for my newspaper column in the Grapids Press that I, it also um, runs on MLive.com. At the time, she was operating Spacecraft, which was a little boutique on South Division in Grand Rapids where she was selling a line of soft goods and also featuring art and handmade goods by other local artists here in West Michigan. It was really fun to catch up with Sally to hear how her career has shifted to tying a lot of knots and before we roll that interview i want to very quickly thank my patreon sponsors and the kind folks at acs home and work for supporting this show thank you so much you can head over to acshomeandwork.com to check out their selection of home goods and flower sack tea towels this is my source for the plain towels that i do my printmaking on and now i'm into macrame <laughs> So it all comes full circle here. I have some sponsors who help me keep this show going, and the show inspires me to keep trying new things and seeking the answers to questions and having conversations that hopefully provoke some self-reflection on your end and some inspiration. I hope you're going to find some inspiration in this show. So grab some cotton twine and try some square knots while we're talking here, and you'll have a little sampler done by the end of the show. And you'll be so happy. Let's get to that interview. I feel like this is uh, deja vu a little bit because we were about a block down. Do you remember how many years ago? 
eight years ago. Oh my gosh. At least. <laughs> eight years ago. Oh my goodness. Yeah, we were in our twenties back then. So yeah, so you were, and at the time, what was the name of your business at the time? Uh, well, the shop was called Spacecraft. Right, okay. And I sold all locally handmade goods. And I lived there with my partner, Nick, and we also had a little bit of a gallery space in the front where we do shows. So it's kind of a multi-purpose space. And now we're down the street, and you're actually still on division here, but you're kind of studio sitting, as you've explained. You're in front of a giant macrame piece here, uh-huh. and I think this is very intriguing how you've gone from having a small business and doing some interior work as yeah, well. Yeah, I was doing a little interior work on the side, and then I sold my um, line of soft goods in my shop as well, as well as having an Etsy store when Etsy first came out. Right, that and was awesome. I was awesome doing a renegade craft fair, you know, in the beginning stages of the DIY movement. Right. I remember you having a famous pillow design, too. Yeah, Mr. Mustache. <laughs> he was a quite popular. Pillow. Yes, and that was before mustaches were on everything. Exactly. It was before Hello Kitty had a mustache. That's right. Not even Hello Kitty has a mustache. Really? Yes. My daughter has a shirt or something with Hello Kitty and a mustache. I'm oh, like, that's Yes. So that, so that tradition has continued. So you're now doing macrame in a really prolific and gigantic way. (laughs) We're not talking little tiny macrame pieces. We're talking wall installations. And it'd be cool if you could explain how you kind of made that transition from having a shop, doing some interior work, doing your soft goods um, business to launching Full Blast into this really interesting modern art form where you're bringing back an old craft tradition and just running with it. It's really awesome. Thanks. Yeah, um, I think it all started when I was applying for graduate school. A lot of times in the applications, they ask you to present a project that you'll be working on while you're there. And I had always wanted to learn how to do macrame. I remember seeing my mom's books laying around the house when I was young. She was also a macrame artist. And looking through them and, and just being kind of mesmerized by the patterns and the designs and always in the back of my head thinking that, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn how to do that someday. So when it came time to apply for the graduate programs, one of the projects that I had presented was kind of like a tent or a small macrame house that you could kind of hang out in, relax, kind of like a little escape pod. So when I went to graduate school, I was at the Pacific Northwest College of Art. Um, it was a MFA in Applied Craft and Design, a joint program with PNCA and Oregon College of Art and Craft. I started um, by just teaching myself how to do macrame using one of those old books from the 60s or 70s and could have been the same book that my mom had. Who knows? <laughs> Did you uh, go for a lesson with your mom at all? No, no. no. I You're probably I, too far away <laughs> at that point. In fact, she did come to see me while I was in Portland and helped me out with uh, some plant hangers I was working on, and I had to give her a little uh, reminder on how to do it. <laughs> she was a little rusty, which I don't blame her. It had been a while. Right. So I started out with like a really small sampler and taught myself through the books and went right into a six foot by 
seven foot um, room divider using an alternate square knot pattern. I think I just started out with the room divider because it seemed a little less challenging than making like a small macrame house <laughs> like I had planned. And, right. Um, it just kind of surprised me when I created it how successful it was on a large scale and how when you're using larger ropes, I was using like a half inch diameter mm-hmm. rope, how you could really see the movement and shape of the knots. And it gave macrame just this totally different feel than what you're used to seeing. Right, because we're used to seeing much smaller pieces and, and planters. and yeah. I definitely think that there's like this stigma that surrounds macrame. I think most people think of plant hangers or the the owls, you know, things. or wildly garish clothing items. Yes, in <laughs> yeah. funky colors. Yes, right. So I think by just you know rethinking it, using the larger scale, just natural rope, keeping it clean, um, kind of helps to show the potential of what macrame really can be. Was anyone else in your program doing macrame? Were you the only one? Or? I was the only one, yeah. And how did your peers react to it? What did they think of what you were doing? I think that the feedback was pretty positive overall. And I also, while I was in school, I participated in a group show at a shop slash gallery in Portland called Golden Rule. I don't think it's around anymore, but she always had like pretty avant-garde shows with up-and-coming artists and it was really good to participate with my macrame piece for that show because it brought a new audience besides the other students in my program and the response was really positive and that felt really good but you know sometimes in graduate school your teachers and professors they kind of feel like it's their job to critique you and they can't be overly positive so a lot of the feedback was like, this is too beautiful. Like, you, I want to see you make something ugly. It's funny, though, because you never really hear a quilter say, I'm going to try to make a really ugly statement quilt. Most yeah. people are like, I want something beautiful <laughs> to give to somebody or put in my home and use. What did you do with that kind of feedback? Did you actually try to make ugly things? I didn't. I um... <laughs> <laughs> You're like, well, thanks. But I kind no. of like, was in the mindset where I was like, you know, I got to be realistic here. Right. I need to make money, you know? We all, <laughs> right. I got to survive, you know? And so I found that making my work was successful and people were interested in purchasing it. So, I mean, I don't think that it would necessarily be smart <laughs> financially to just start making, like, these atrocious <laughs> works of art when I'm... <laughs> successful at what I'm doing right so you just kind of took that under advisement it sounds like yeah yeah yeah. and it's time and a place for that kind of thing but what year did you actually start doing macrame um 2011 okay and how quickly were you able to start selling your pieces actually my first commission was for Nike somebody had told me that they were looking for someone to do a, a prototype of a macrame sandal and I was like, I can do that, or at least I'll try. Right, right. <laughs> I've never done that before. And so I took that project on, and Nike is based in Portland. Right, so, so that worked out. You're in the yeah. right place at the right time. Yeah, and there's some other people in the, the program that I was in that had done some work like that for them, not macrame work, but other projects. And so that was my first commission. 
I also did a wall hanging for a shop called Palace in Portland while I was there. And then I got offered the position as a display coordinator at Anthropology back here in Grand Rapids. And so... Was that about the time that it opened? Yep. It was... I opened the new store. While I was working, I kept getting emails from different people from all over that had seen my work online and kept getting commission requests. So I was working full-time at Anthropology, and then I'd come home and I'd work on my macrame. Oh, wow. That's a lot. It was a lot. And eventually I took the big scary leap to start working on my macrame full-time. Now, did you have enough business right away to make that jump? I did. It was more about, you know, getting into the mindset that I'm my own boss now. Right, right. I have to, like, get serious about this, and I can't slack off and and take naps during the day, (laughs) which, I mean, I might still be guilty of that a little bit here and there, but um, it's more about, you know, really having the drive to just keep doing that every day and um, managing my own time. And I think sometimes people don't always respect the time of people who are self-employed. So they're like, oh, it's flexible um, because you're not clocking in somewhere for somebody yeah. else. And it's like, no, actually, there's no one else doing the work. <laughs> you yeah, step exactly. out. There's like, no one else to tie the knots here. People you know? think that I can just, you know, take off during the day any time and, like, go hang out or, you know, go on <laughs> vacation. And I'm like, I can't actually do that. Like, I have to be here working or else I'm not making money. What's the wait time on one of your pieces now? The wait time is actually... I'm going to be taking new work in spring of next year. Oh, wow. So, okay, so you are you're yeah, booked. Yeah, like I'm booked up until March of 2015, which is crazy. I know you're wearing a, a, a knotted uh, necklace here. Uh-huh. So it looks like you do give yourself little breaks to create some small things. Yeah. And put smaller works out there. Yeah, I created these necklaces to sell during um, Colt Mountain at Half Company, which is our art prize entry this year and um, really enjoyed making them and have a lot of requests for smaller um, pieces like this because not everyone can afford a large um, scale macrame piece. What is your range for a necklace? Um, the necklaces that I have at um, Half Company are priced at $35 okay. and 45 45 is like the larger, longer version. Okay, so a wearable piece. piece you can get for under $50. You're yeah. out the door with your portable macrame. And then if people are looking to do, go like installation for the wall, I mean, what is the range there? Usually my work will start at $35 a square foot okay. and then go up from there depending on, of course, like the size, scale, the materials used, the complexity of the design. Right. Because some knots take longer than others and it just all depends on the design. And how did you come up with that price range? I think that's the hardest for artists <laughs> to figure out is like what to charge for their work, especially if you don't have a million macrame artists you can call. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not like there's other, like quilters have other quilters. Yeah. You know. I think it comes to a point where you just have to ask yourself, like, what will make this worth it? Okay. Like, what is my time worth? What do I need to get paid in order to make this a sustainable thing for okay. myself and to make me keep wanting to do it and but also thinking about not pricing myself out completely right when uh, people are like oh we're gonna find somebody else to do this because yeah. it's just too expensive yeah. yeah and it's it's hard I wish that I could take on every single project but you know it comes to a point where I need to kind of pick and choose and 
try and be okay with the fact that I have to say no sometimes, mm-hmm. which is tough. Well, you're one woman, too. <laughs> like, I, so, I know. So. I wish that I had, like, three arms on each side. Are you to a point, I mean, do you see yourself getting to a point where you have a staff of people that work with you, or do you want to tie every knot yourself? No, I definitely am going to need um, to have a staff. <laughs> I have an um, intern right now and a couple assistants that are mm-hmm. helping me out, and um, I keep getting larger projects, so I think that, you know, having helpers is definitely going to be a necessity, and... And it's nice to have people around because sometimes my work is, it's a little isolating and can only listen to so many podcasts. <laughs> true, true. You want to talk to a real person. Yeah. Right. No, I, I understand. Although I love podcasts, don't get me wrong. No, no. Well, no, it's, it's, but it's not a substitution for actually having a live conversation with yeah. somebody. Yeah. So that's, so that's something that, um, so when you work here, are you mostly working by yourself most days or do you have... Mostly by myself, but recently it, um, I've had a lot more help come in um, because this is such a large piece that I'm working on. And right now we're looking at a piece. How big is this piece? That um, you're... This piece is seven feet wide, and it will eventually be 13 feet tall. Wow. So, And it's all um, horizontal clove hitches and vertical clove hitches. So those aren't fast knots. No, they're like two-step like... two two step knots? Yeah, these are like some of the most especially, you know, because I'm not working with the half-inch diameter rope for this piece. I'm working with, like, a 3 sixteenths rope mm-hmm. and a 5 diameter rope, so, and amongst some others, so it, it takes a little while. Do you have a pattern for the whole thing, or do you, you just no, kind of go? Um, it's a very improvisational piece. Um, I was given, you know, kind of some structure going in, like uh, did some prototypes and sent them over to the company in New York, and um, they were able to give me some feedback and say, we like this, we don't like this, can you do more of this? So I think that's kind of my favorite type of commission to work on is when I do have a little bit of structure to mm-hmm. go off of, and then can you bring your own can, thing to Yeah, it? yeah, I can still be creative. Now, it looks like in here I'm seeing some wool mixed in here yeah. with the cotton, which is interesting. Yeah, if I really wanted to create this really textural piece and, like, be able to play with the the different types of fibers. So there's some, some wool um, yarn mixed in and with the cotton rope and then some braided cotton rope that I unbraided. <laughs> So, yeah, it's nice to have those, that play of texture. I it think. looks like you're doing some fringing here, too. Yep, some fringe. It's kind of like a very messy look, which is a lot different than what I usually do. It's pretty um, uh, symmetrical most mm-hmm. of the time when I'm working. Yeah, this is definitely a lot more freestyle. And So is this going to be hanging against a wall for the it's install? It's hanging in the window of a store. Okay, so, so is it going to have a back and a front, then? Um, the, the back is just the back, but um, I'm also being really conscious about how the back looks because it will be open to the store. Okay. But there won't be a wall behind it, so you'll be able to see the light um, shining through. through, and there are a lot of loose areas, so I think that'll be really neat to see that. I won't spill the beans here, but there's yeah. going to actually be some like messaging, I guess, yeah. if you will, in there, yeah. which will yeah. be really fun. Have you done that before? Have you had anything like this before on your plate? Um, I've created... Um, shapes using before. the negative, negative space, yeah. Before and using the same knotting pattern, but I've never really spelt out um, a word or a name. Yeah, so this is a first for me. 
in the workshop that I took recently from you, you were talking about how with the larger rope, the larger diameter mm-hmm. rope, it's like a, a full blast workout yeah. to get those knots tight. Yes. And so do you find that, does this replace going to the gym for you with the <laughs> upper body? Can you skip the arms? Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is a lot of upper body work. These ropes are a little bit smaller than the half inch, so it's not quite as much of a workout, but it is nice to like think about that while you're working like mm-hmm. I'm like working my arms right now. Right. It's an act <laughs> it's a very active and I know there are a lot of artists who are doing very active like participating with the medium they're working with, mm-hmm. but this is definitely you can't really sit on a chair and make a seven foot wide <laughs> yeah, piece. Yeah. You For know. Some of it you can, but yeah, a lot of times I'm standing up. And that's also it can be a very um, meditative process oh, yeah. while you're working and I find that at this point it's kind of automatic when I'm doing the knots so I'm not really thinking about it and it, that kind of allows my mind to go elsewhere mm-hmm. and I can work on other things right you can be brainstorming the next project <laughs> while you're working on this one exactly so has this taken you to a place that you didn't really imagine or, or is this kind of playing out as you hope most artists hope to be successful right. doing what they do, but I never really expected this to happen. All I wanted was to, you know, all I could ask for was just to have a job that I could be creative and use my skills, but I didn't think that I would be doing this, you know, working on my right. own and creating my own work, which has just been a blessing and I'm super grateful for. But yeah, no, I didn't expect this to happen at all. There are others out there who are making pieces. I haven't seen anybody local at all that's doing large-scale macrame, but have you been able to connect? Because the Internet kind of creates these networks of people sometimes organically. Have you been able to connect with any other people who are doing similar things out there? Um, Yeah. I actually, so the very first art prize in this exact space, there was an artist here named Tanya Gininga. Okay. And she was um, creating all these felted chairs um, using like historical modern chairs and okay. furniture that she colored with um, covered, covered with, with the really felt. Okay, I do remember felt, that. And they were kind of like hanging from the ceiling. Right. So beautiful. Her and I have kept in touch, and she's like a really inspirational fibers artist and designer. Mm-hmm. And I know that she sometimes does macrame work as well on a larger scale, but we both have our own style, mm-hmm. and most of the macrame artists that I know out there are very respectful of other people's style, so it doesn't right. feel like you're stepping on other people's You just do your feet. own thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and with macrame, it's so versatile that... I feel like there's no reason to copy someone else's work because there's so much you can do. Did you take to it really easily? Did you feel like you just loved it from the get-go? I did. I was hooked. I, Like I said, I only did that one small sample, and mm-hmm. I picked it up really quickly and then went right into the huge one. So it just came really naturally to me. And it is interesting because I um, definitely got bit by the bug in your class on Sunday. <laughs> and people, though, are reacting to me so strangely where um, they're like, all right, like either, well, that's cool. Or they're like, what? You're doing what? Like macrame? Really? You know, there's a group of people, I think, that maybe had their own experience with macrame mm-hmm. in the 60s and 70s. Um, and to them, their experience was totally different. And I think that they because they experienced, you know, making it firsthand and, and that it was everywhere, like, maybe 
they've lost the appreciation for it perhaps um, because it's just not fresh to mm-hmm. them but I feel like there's this whole another generation uh, several generations that can appreciate it in the new and don't really like there was somebody in her class who had never heard of macrame before right and that kind of so they weren't tainted in any way yeah they <laughs> yeah. didn't have any kind of preconceived notions yeah you said your mom did this and what did what did your mom do she made what did um, she make she actually she made um this very intricate macrame purse that she won an award for oh wow all right through, i don't know if it was 4-h or or what but okay she always says how much she wished she still had it it's not around anymore but yeah she would do like smaller scale okay more of like like the home good kind of wearable kind of stuff yeah Yeah. okay yeah so you've definitely taken this in a in a large-scale direction and what kind of response are you getting when people are evaluating like holding this up to other art forms I don't know like I don't feel like I've had that much experience with presenting my work Mm -hmm. in a because you're doing more of a it's a business for you as opposed to like gallery setting I mean I would I would definitely love to be more involved in some shows and galleries and and involved in more group shows and collaborations because you know it does get a little um, repetitive when you're working on similar pieces a lot and I love to try and just push it as far as I can go and continue to experiment with the craft and I love working on a large scale but I think there definitely is a lot of interest in fiber Mm -hmm. arts as of late and Boston I know there's a show coming up and it's all fiber arts at the Modern Museum and they had actually (laughs) contacted me and I got really excited at first but they were looking for um, some pieces for their gift shop. Oh, man, <laughs> but come on. Man. I know, I would love to just oh, go and see the show. Yeah. I'm sure it's going to be amazing. But, yeah, I, I see definitely the fine art world getting more interested in fiber arts. And, you know, it's not of unfamiliar territory. There are artists like Sheila Hicks and mm-hmm. there's Eastler who kind of paved the way for fiber arts in the fine art setting. Right. So... It's not anything new, and I would just—I'd love to be a part of that movement. I'm wondering if, when you get downtime, when you're not, you know, having to make a piece mm-hmm. for a customer or an installation, do you find that you still want to tie knots? I mean, do you still want to do this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's funny because <laughs> I almost don't know what to do with myself because I'm knotting so often, and I enjoy it, and I kind of like it that way. I don't like to put this huge separation between like what is work and what is play because I feel like I don't want to lose the passion for it and I don't want to stop enjoying doing what I'm doing so a lot of times I'll just I'll be working on the weekend or you know working on something at the house on my downtime or other types of fiber arts so do you have a setup at home as well for to work on pieces, or do you just work on smaller things at home? Um, I work on smaller things, and then I like to work out on my porch whenever I can. There's some hooks out there that okay. I can make plant hangers or whatnot off of. So do you have a lot of plants hanging out by macrame hangers at home? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Lots yeah. of plant hangers, lots of plants. Do you have advice for people who 
have not tried macrame. And I know for me, I looked at a couple books on a couple different occasions, and I just, I was kind of, I think I was turned off by the fact that everything was kind of outdated a little bit. Right. And I kind of, I wasn't really excited about it. And even some of the books, I did look on Amazon to see what's come out. And there are some things that are, people have done some more recent things that make it a little more, definitely more appealing. Mm -hmm. But you did this just, it sounds like you cracked open a book basically and just started dove in and was it frustrating for you at first or did you just kind of follow the diagrams and it Um, clicked it kind of just clicked I just followed the directions and you know it didn't happen right away it took a little bit of trial and error but I found that it was pretty easy and I know that everybody learns differently and for a lot of people it's easier to see it in 3d and actually in person rather than in 2d on a book Mm -hmm. um there's this great website called animatednots.com, and it's great because it shows you all of these different types of knots, just not just decorative, but like sailors knots and so practical knots. Yeah, as well. yeah, and they're all animated, and you can pause it step by step. That's awesome. Yeah, or you can go back and do it again. Yeah, exactly. So that's a really great resource, um, and there's a lot of different you know DIYs out there if you Google it that I think will probably, you know, and even videos, that might be a little bit more helpful and and more easier to look at, I guess, than Mm -hmm. the older books. I know it's funny because I kind of always laugh to say, you know, ask you this next question because we were reflecting on the fact that um, nearly a decade ago, we were down the street having a similar discussion about your work and what you were doing and it's just such a, uh, you're doing so, something that neither one of us maybe expected, and it's super fun. I mean, do you think that, you know, when I come back again, circle back around, <laughs> when we're uh, women in our 40s, <laughs> um, what do you think you're going to be doing at that point? Do you see yourself still doing macrame and maybe having a, a, a staff of people that are working with you, or what do you, what do you imagine? Well, who knows, because um, I certainly didn't expect to be here, you know, 10 years ago, but I see myself um, continuing to explore macrame and other fiber arts, you know, I'm definitely not married to just using the macrame technique, Um, I think I just made some quilts, which I loved, Um, so yeah, I just guess I just see myself still working as a fiber artist, and um, maybe I'll have a uh, actual studio because I'm right. I'm just um, studio <laughs> sitting right now, and I can't wait to have my own space. And do you want to have your space be in Grand Rapids? Do you want to be downtown, or where do you think you want to um, be? I'd like to have a spot um, in the winters that I can go to. I'm a little bit of a you know seasonal depression sufferer, so and I love to work outside whenever I can so to have like an indoor outdoor space in the winter time that I can work at to keep myself productive would mm-hmm. be amazing so whether that be like southern california or you know the pacific northwest who knows the desert. And, and, <laughs> and you got to experience a little bit of that um climate benefit when you're out going to school it's yeah yeah it was um the winters were a lot more mild temperature wise and instead of snow we just got like kind of a misty rain but um yeah it's a really nice climate out there i really enjoyed it does this help you to work on these projects so to kind of be able to at least lose yourself in a in a project and and 
kind of get yourself, you know, yeah, through yeah. the cold? Um, it does because there's not a lot of distraction. I mean, I'm not. It's not like I'm out hitting slopes every weekend. So there's not really much to do in the winter. I feel like so. It does help as far as like being productive and just being at home and and working or in my studio and working. Some people, you know, don't feel that craft has any place in a fine art setting and it's wonderful to see that that's kind of falling away for a lot of people and galleries are are displaying um, wonderful projects that are created with traditional craft techniques. I think that more and more that people are more attracted to works of art and objects that they can put in their home that were handmade by a person that has you know, taken a lot of time to make, and that can't be mass-produced. I mean, nowadays it seems like almost anything that can be made by a person can be made by a machine, Mm -hmm. and I think that they're, you know, machine-made and mass-produced objects um, kind of don't have the same type of soul or character um, that something that was handmade by a person um, who studied their craft, and you know, when you work on something for so long, you, you put a lot into it, and I think that shows. I think people can can really appreciate that, and it has uh, more of a what is the word that I'm looking for? Uh, just an aesthetic more, or more character? And, oh yeah, um, soul. So yeah, I think that that whole movement has been really instrumental in um, my success as a fibers artist because people love to see things that take time and the texture and you know each knot is time spent and so yeah that's kind of my take on the whole thing I think that um, we're going to see that more and more the more the push towards handmade items that are more meaningful and um, have a story and it's always fun to have something in your house that has a story. Yeah. You know? Do you get to know your customers? Do you, in the, I'm assuming when you have those go back, the back and forth conversations about what the piece is going to be and what it's going to entail, you sometimes get to know those folks? Yeah, I try to get to know my clients as much as possible in the way of trying to feel out what they're looking for mm-hmm. in a, a piece and... Um, try to get them to explain to me, you know, what the environment is, and you know, if they can send photos, that's great. Um, but unfortunately, a lot of times I don't get to have that one-on-one um, relationship that I would like to, um, because so much these days everything is technology-based. So um, it's a lot of emailing back and forth, and uh, there are a few times where I've gotten to go out and install the work in um, homes or in um, businesses and then actually meet the contact that I've been emailing with for months mm-hmm. face-to-face. And see the home where your piece is going to live. Yeah, yeah, and, and that means so much. And I really love to have that connection with my clients. And I'm not just a computer-like presence and... Um, so whenever I have that opportunity, I always jump on it. And 
ha just to give people a sense of where your pieces have gone, uh, can you characterize like some of the the clients that you've worked with, you know, private and um, just also more public spaces where your work is is viewed? Are you all around the country, or yeah, a lot of it is private homes. Um, a lot of um, clients in LA and New York, and a few in Chicago, so the big cities, um, and then. I also get contacted quite often by interior design and architecture firms who are looking for um, pieces for a restaurant or a home they're working on or a hotel. Mm -hmm. um, I, I recently installed some panels in a restaurant in New York called Elvez, um, and they were giant 13 feet by 6 feet panels that we dyed chartreuse green in our basement. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, so that was probably the biggest project to date. It was, um, I think it was like eight or nine of these giant panels that hang in the windows of the restaurant, which we actually got to go and install. That's awesome. It was a wonderful experience. And I think, if you posted photos online? Um, on my Instagram, Instagram okay, I so people can. How can people follow you on um, It's Sally underscore England. Okay, so you can see all these creations, or at least yeah. a lot of them. Yeah, um, and I'm trying to think. Um, I've got a big hotel project coming up in Chicago um, that I'm really excited about. Um, and, yeah, for some reason I'm just totally blanking no, on No, that's okay, you've been... Uh, clients... <laughs> Yeah, well, have, has anything gone out of the country? Yeah, I've, um, I worked on a piece for the Ace Hotel in London. It was a large, nine-foot-wide black macrame piece that was angular, and that was for their new hotel in London, Shoreditch. So um, we sent that piece there and a commission for a woman in Hong Kong. Wow. And so when you package things things up, do you kind of like have a moment where you're like, I really hope this gets there? Always. <laughs> All the time. <laughs> Can you ensure with international? I mean, what do you do in yeah, international I, setting? Yeah, I mean, it hasn't happened too often where I had to worry about that because with Ace, they kind of took care of the oh, shipping they kinda for picked, me. Oh, they probably picked it up and had it through their own shipping channels. Yeah, Okay, yeah. so you can be like, all right, you're signing off. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wave my hands. Yeah. Well, so it's so that's really nice. So you've had now you just have to travel to all these spots. Yeah, hopefully <laughs> <laughs> you could do a whole Sally England tour and go to various places where your pieces are hanging up. That would be kind of cool. Yeah, and get some good photos. Mm -hmm. Maybe take some other people along. It could be like there's a lot of artists who do like the cruise trip where they teach the skill. You could be like, we're going to go on these yeah. stops depending on where the pieces are located. That would be great. Obviously, you're into this full blast and it sounds like you're very happy doing this and it's something that you didn't really plan for but when you found something that you really enjoyed doing you just kind of kept going with it and I think exactly. a lot of people are hesitant to do that you know they think oh this is really fun but I should probably do my day job because that's what I should you know that they're comfortable doing it but it sounds like for you uh, you weren't hasty about it though you made sure you built up clientele where you knew that business was going to be there mm -hmm. and didn't just make one macrame owl and think, I'm going to do this for, for a living. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I mean, I don't know if you have any advice about, and obviously not everyone's going to be launching into macrame, but just in general what you've learned from trying some things. It's been clear to me that when we met previously and I did a previous story about you, that you're not, you've never been really timid about 
just trying an idea and, and going for it and seeing where it leads you. But you're also very smart about it, too, that you're not, like, with wild abandon. Like, I'm not sure if I'm going to have enough money for them to pay my rent or not. Uh, a lot of times people ask me how long it takes me to make a piece. And one of my <laughs> most popular answers is 35 years. I mean, I've been building upon this. It's not just about, like, how long it took me to learn macrame, mm-hmm. how long each individual piece takes. It's more about all the experiences that I've had in my past that have led me up to where I am today and and being a perfectionist and not being afraid to like go back and undo like several rows of knots and start over because something's not right and like fine-tuning my aesthetic eye Mm -hmm. all of these things and marketing you know like there's a whole nother business side that goes into what I do and I think that, you know, a big piece of advice is just to ha- have patience and don't expect everything to happen right away. It'll, it might take time, but just keep honing your skills and working hard and you never know what might happen. Now, how big of a role do you think your degree, the fact that you have now an MFA, is that correct? Um, no, or actually, I um, only did one year in the program. I left because I got offered the position at anthropology. Oh, okay. Okay, so you did take an opportunity. Yeah, I took the opportunity and I said, you know, instead of spending $30,000, I'm going to go make (laughs) (laughs) $30,000 and and do something really creative that that I loved. What was your question? No, I was just—I was going to ask you how a degree played into that, but it sounds like you left before the program ended. Yeah, and, but, but you had a—did you? Ha- but you had gone to school. This was for a graduate program, so you already had. What kind of a degree do you already have? Um, I had a bachelor's of arts from Grand Valley State University. Okay, okay. So um, this was just building on that. Yeah, and I really just wanted to get the experience of being in that type of environment. Sure, sure. Because my undergraduate degree was in communications. Mm -hmm. I took a lot of, like, theater classes and photography and a few art and sculpture classes, but I really wanted to be in that type of environment, and although I was only there for a year, I definitely have no regrets. I got what I needed to out of the program in Mm -hmm. that one year. Right. Um... So that's another thing. It's like, you know, sometimes you just have to see, like, what you might not always have to, like, follow the The straight line. You know, it was really hard to quit my job at anthropology, but I'm really glad that I did it. Sometimes it's just about taking that leap and Mm -hmm. believing in yourself and just working hard. Right. And I think sometimes, you're right, the traditional path, if you're feeling pulled in another direction and you have a viable option there, mm-hmm. it's not just living in a cardboard box. You know, I mean, there's actual, you know, you, in two instances you had an opportunity, the job at anthropology, and then after that, the commissions and the business to, you know, people saying, hey, can you make me one? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, and now look, this is really, what is your, what is the greatest challenge you face right now, do you think, being in this independent uh, frame of, of business now? I think it's just keeping momentum um, it's, I have a pretty big workload right now and it can be pretty daunting. And I think, you know, it's just challenging sometimes to just reach out and ask for help and right. to find people that are willing to, to come and help me out and that are interested in learning and just being in this environment. Um, but I think it's just like the day to day, you know, the business side of things and 
really bad at answering emails. If anyone's listening and you emailed me and I never emailed you back, I'm really sorry. <laughs> um, is it just because you're getting too many now? I mean, yeah, that... there's, it's a lot. And I also have carpal tunnel. Oh my so, goodness. Oh my gosh, you do this and you have carpal tunnel? Yeah, it's actually, um, the macrame doesn't bother me it's as the much typing. as the typing and yeah, the scrolling yeah. and things like that. Yeah. So um, it's just really hard to keep on top of it and um, that type of thing, the emails, you know, and the keeping track of finances and things like that, I think are really challenging for me because like most artists, you just want to be doing the creative right. side and, of things. Oh yeah, tax time is such a nightmare. Yeah. I don't want to do My this. left side of my brain is definitely not up to par with right. the right. <laughs> well, no, I think there's a lot of people out there that are going to relate to that very closely. So, um, yeah, well, I, th- I think it's absolutely wonderful that you're, you're I mean, because you're creating fabulous, beautiful pieces. And so for those listening, they really need to go on your Instagram and check that out. And um, are you planning to teach more workshops? I know you're so busy and it's hard for you to have time to do that. But if there's folks out there that are interested, where should they keep an eye out? Where will you announce that if you have more workshops? Um, On my website, which is sallyengland.com, there's a newsletter that you can sign up. And I'm going to be um, sending out uh, email uh, newsletters periodically that will um, tell you how, when I have something going on, a workshop, if I have new work um, for sale, and just like any new exciting news that's happening with the studio. Um, So feel free to go to my website and sign up for the newsletter. I would love to teach more workshops, um, especially in different cities if I have the opportunity to travel, and um, that would be amazing. So just hit me up. So they can just contact you and make those arrangements. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, you do strike me as a, a world traveler. You're up for that. You're <laughs> I love traveling. <laughs> I do. Yeah, well, that's great. Well, I, I think it's wonderful. I think, congratulations. Um, Thank you so for, much. And on, on all this, um, what you've been able to accomplish. I yeah, think it's really I fabulous. I thought it was really fun to have you here. Well, I had a lot of fun doing that interview. I hope you had a great time listening to it at home. And I hope you're inspired to pick up macrame, either for the first time or maybe again after many years. It really is fun. Sally's macrame work is fantastic to see in person, but if you can't get to Grand Rapids to check it out, I would recommend heading over to sallyengland.com and see some examples of her work and find out some information about how you can order a piece if you are interested. For those of you who are going to be trying macrame at home for the first time, there are a lot of nice books out there. Many of them are vintage. You know, they're old. I think I just bought one online for probably less than $10, and it's from four years before I was born. And it's really fun to take an old idea or concept and put a modern twist on it. With macrame, you can make things that are very large. You can also work small and make jewelry. I do hope you give macrame a whirl. Maybe look at it with a new appreciation because there's a, a new generation of people who are embracing it and trying it out, and that's really great. And I'm noticing that my cat... Justine is giving me an evil death stare here because she's like, can you just be quiet? I'm trying to sleep now. Cats are so lovely that way. Well, I'm going to take that as my cue to go get some rest myself. Thanks so much to all of you for tuning in. I really do appreciate it. I love to hear from you. So you can email me, jennifer at craftsanity.com or you can find me on the web Follow Craft Sanity on Instagram to see my latest little projects and experiments and also see some of these vintage macrame books that I've been 
ordering. I want to thank my Patreon sponsors once again for your support. I really appreciate it. I also want to thank Ted and the gang over at ACS Home and Work. High five to all of you. We're keeping this podcast going together, and I think it's great to have the opportunity. So thank you so much. Visit acshomeandwork.com to check out what they have available and show them a little love for supporting this podcast. If you have an idea for me about a show guest or topic that you would like me to explore, email jennifer at craftsanity.com. I'll be back soon with another episode. In the meantime, Craft Sanity, my friends, it works for me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Craft Sanity Podcast. To support the show, click the Patreon link at craftsanity.com to donate $1 a month or buy a handmade loom or magazine at craftsanity.etsy.com. Thank you.